can put the whiteboard only. You don't have to put me up there. That's okay. Um, we're on this series called You Asked For It, and the topic that I've been given this morning to teach through, through from the scriptures is the topic of hope. Uh, I would imagine that the reason why that topic was requested is not because we, uh, whoever requested it, and, and I'm sure many of us, whether you actually wrote it down or not, uh, are interested in the idea of hope and, and just hope in general, not because we're masters in hope, but probably because at some capacity in our lives, whether it's right now or in the past, we have found ourselves hopeless and we are desperate for hope and to understand it and to believe that there is hope. And I think that, that there is great hope. And that's what we're going to, to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write down the topic or the title, Anchors Away. Anchors Away. Anchors away. To start, we're going to look kind of from 30,000 feet, so to speak, down on our existence and our reality. For each of us, we are living a story. Individually, um, but also collectively as a people. Now, a couple elements to the story that are really important to understand. This is really fundamental, super foundational, so if they're not detailed enough... For you, well, that's okay. A couple elements to a story. Every story has a beginning. A beginning. And in that beginning, uh, there are characters that are established. There is a setting that is established. And those things are really, really important. It sets the foundation for the story. It gives us a trajectory of the story. Again, characters are what's most important. We, under, we need to understand who's in the story. In my story, I was born in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, at the Big Blue Hospital. Uh, represent. My parents were a part of that story. Uh, I also had an older sister who was the part of that story, and I had another character in that story who came out seven minutes after I did. She was, she is a girl. Um, her name is Chloe. The funny thing about our story was really dramatic right away, right off the bat. I came out seven minutes earlier. The uh, the chosen one is uh, <laughs> how they refer to me. And my sister barely made it out. Now, the legend goes that after nine months of evaluating her, observing her, that I decided that maybe she wasn't cut out for planet Earth. And I know this is going to sound morbid, but please laugh because that will make me feel better about myself. <laughs> The umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck, which, yes, is very serious. I know I'm making light of it, but she made it out. She's alive and well, taking on New York City. It's all good. But there are multiple characters, particularly in my story. And that's really important to understand the trajectory of one's life and to understand the story that we're all living. And then from there, that was uh, in 1992, which for some of you makes me sound old and for some of you makes me sound really young. My life has gone on, and everything in those 27 years since then has simply been plot development. This makes me sound really smart and intellectual. And at some point in time, very fundamental, really basic, rudimentary things, that story will end. And these are just basic elements to a story. Characters, which falls under every category, but we have a beginning, 
we have development of that story, it goes somewhere, and then that story ends. And that's true for all of us, and that's really important to know because our lives are not just random acts or random relationships, but we have a beginning. There is a development to our life. There are uh, meaning in, in existential reality to our life, and it will eventually have an end. Again, that's true for all of us. You could put that, all these different stories, millions and billions of people all throughout history. Now, all that's true. There is a greater story that's happening. In philosophy, they refer to this as a meta-narrative. And a meta-narrative is the overarching story that shapes and influences every micro-story that happens within it. And what we believe as Jesus followers, and what I'm going to present to you today, is that that meta-narrative is the narrative that is revealed to us in the scriptures. And we believe that in Genesis, which is the word for beginnings, it's just really important to understand that as we're reading, particularly the book of Genesis. This is what sets the tone and the trajectory for the the whole story. We have an introduction of characters and settings and plots begin to develop. And what we see in the beginning of this meta narrative, which we have to understand because ultimately we have our own stories, but this meta narrative, this overarching story, shapes and dictates ultimately, or it can if you so choose to allow it, shapes and dictates and influences our individual story, which is really, really good news. But in the beginning of that story, we see God, who is the supreme God over all beings, the author of all of creation. He sees this voidless, uh, chaotic existence. It says that his spirit hovered over it. Just a quick side note, really, really encouraging. That's in the midst of chaos, before God speaks creation into existence, which we see then he calls it good, which is a really, really good beginning to the story. But what's really interesting, this has always impacted me, I feel like someone needs to hear this this morning. In the midst of the chaos, before God brought order to it, and we see this beautiful creation, it says that his spirit hovered there. You should know this. That the nature of our God is that he's supreme above all things. And that even when there's chaos in your life, that his spirit sits and hovers there, waiting for something creative to be spoken into it, to bring order and redemption to it. Like, how encouraging is that? And I know maybe you're not feeling encouraged this morning. Maybe you feel like the plot of your story right now is really disheartening, really discouraging, really tragic. And I get the feeling of that, but we need to, my job is not to tell you what to do necessarily or anything like that. Primarily is to remind you of this perspective of this meta story. And at the beginning of it, what we see about our God is one, that he creates things and they're good and he's supreme over all things. But even in the midst of chaos, he is the one who takes chaos and brings it into order. That's pretty hopeful just to begin with. And that's just at the beginning, which sets the tone for the rest of the story. Now, what we see in this book, this library of stories and teachings and history, is that this story goes from this beautiful, wonderful beginning. It turns really, really bad really, really fast, right? (laughs) We're pretty messed up. And it just gets bad. And there's just this like climax, climbs and and descends of drama and suffering and rebellion and rescue and promises and covenants and and just on and on and on for thousands of years. Like this is the most dramatic story ever told. No no story's more scandalous. (laughs) Seriously, if you read the scriptures and you're not like struck by the scandal in it, read it again. It's crazy. (laughs) 
seriously, sometimes I read stuff and I'm like, we're just going to put that down for right now. <laughs> Revisit that later. You know what? Let's go to the Psalms or, you know, any first John. <clears throat> it's all important. But you know what? Even in light of the scandal, if it's just scandal and it's disheartening, then we've totally missed the story. We have a, a disordered appropriation of characters, so to speak. We don't get who's most important and who's not. We don't get who's most supreme and who's not because the nature of this story is regardless of what humanity has done in the drama of mankind, there is still a God who is the author of it, who is supreme over it, and there is an end that's coming. And that is the story that's overarching for all of humanity that we as individuals find ourselves in. And we have to ask ourselves and reflect on, have we really allowed this story, the story that begins really, really well, and then we see this really honest, real account of history of humanity that's really broken and crazy, but still this God who's with creation, trying to redeem it and restore it, making promises and covenants to restore it back to where it was in the beginning. Do we believe that our story as individuals actually falls under that and we have allowed, have we allowed this story to shape it? Because here's the best part of the story. This is what we're going to read here in a minute. Well, we're going to read it right now in Revelation 21. This is how the story ends. Now, the book of Revelation is really significant because it really gives us an insight into the, the end of how uh, our current world in existence will one day end and then a new world and new existence will one day begin, right? Now, if you're going to read the book of Revelation, which some of you haven't, some of you have, please reference really good scholars because this book, without any good support and wisdom and counsel, is totally crazy, okay? Okay? So if you, if you go read Revelation this week and you come back to me all weird, I warned you. Happy to help you figure it out, but... This is what it says, Revelation 21. Just, an, just a glimpse into the end of the story. So the Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, this is, that's what we're currently in, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And listen to this. This is the best part of this little glimpse into the end of the story. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Listen to this. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So the end of the story is that. And here's why. At some point, this is not to scale. So I'm just going to guess. Let's say the cross is here at this point in history. Most of us, if I, is everyone familiar with Jesus? Yeah. Okay. 
important figure in this story, probably the most. Some point in time, he interrupted this, this story as the hero and the savior of it. And this is not myth or legend. This is real, okay? He interrupts this story. And his point was to die on a cross to live a perfect life, to show us the life that we could live if we would believe in him, and then to die on this cross to atone, to pay the debt, to pay the price for the sins and the debts that we have racked up that would prevent us from this end, the one that's written about here in Revelation 21. And the way that the story went was he was put on this cross to die. The Roman Empire figured, you know what? Let's just assume that this guy maybe is actually God, and he wants to change the story of history that we really don't want humanity to believe. So let's just put him on a cross and kill him, and that will put an end to that, which is good news. Because the one thing that would make us hopeless in this world is if the story actually ended, well, it it ends with the cross. But let's say it just ended with the grave, death. That is worthy of hopelessness. It's the thing that we loathe the most, we fear the most, we dread the most. It's the thing that's most painful. It is the end of a story for someone seemingly. But we believe that because he took death on and all of the consequences and the sin that went with it spiritually for you and I and then resurrected, overcame this, the story continues on to what we see in Revelation 21 and what we believe to be the new heavens and the new earth. So now we have this opportunity to believe this greater narrative that can forever shape our narrative. That is, it was good in the beginning and God was the greatest character. And then all this crazy stuff has happened and is still happening. But one day, if we would put our trust in this, the cross, the reality that Jesus, the son of God who was sinless, took on all of our consequences for our sin and our selfishness that would separate us from this good God, raised from the dead so that we one too, one, so that we one day, even in light of our death, would resurrect and experience the new heavens and the new earth. I think we have good reason to be hopeful this morning. Because no matter what happens, this is what Revelation 21 is saying to us, is no matter what happens in here, all the horrible atrocities, all the evil, all the injustice, that because of this one man's act on the cross and the resurrection of that, that we can be assured that this end is much different from this first reality, totally unlike it, one worth hoping in and believing in, one that we one day will experience if we would put our trust in the hero of the story. My question to you this morning, just at a 30,000 foot level, is do you believe in that meta narrative? in a very real way. Will you allow your story, and I'm speaking to people in here who have been following Jesus for 20 years or 20 seconds. I don't know where you're at, but we all have to, because I'm gonna get to something different here in a minute. We all, just at a fundamental level, have to ask ourselves, do we believe in this story as the greatest story and the one that ultimately influences and shapes our existence? Okay. We're going to drop down to 10,000 feet. You ever been in a plane that's dropped from 30,000 feet to 10,000 feet really fast? <laughs> You're like, Lord, thank you for the cross, you know? 
<laughs> you, see, you know, people who have never spoken tongues before start speaking in tongues. <laughs> oh, boy. You can send direct emails to me if you have challenges in my presentation. Okay. Same kind of linear scale, but instead of beginning and end, I'm going to label it past and future. Past and future. And I'm going to add another element, and that's right now. How many of uh, are you a real living in the moment now type of people? How many people in here? Harley, excellent. I admire you. I respect you. That's not really me. Um, my life is often shaped by very, you know, really past and the future. So if you're a now person, I'm, I'm going to burst your bubble just a little bit. And that could because, not like in a bad way, it's just make, maybe it's hyperinflated and we're just going to bring it down to its proper inflatedness. <laughs> Here's the reality. Our now, right now, is not just right now no matter how much we want it to be or convince ourselves that it is. There are two incredible powers that shape and influence our right now, and that is the past and the future. My question to you this morning, my next question to you, once you've answered the question about which story you're living in, is which of these two powers affect your now more? The power of the past or the power of the future. Because we believe as Jesus followers, our hope is in this, that what is behind us is behind us. And we can live in the now and be present in the now with our eyes fixated on the future. And be honest with yourself. Is your current reality shaped right now? Is it shaped more by the power of the past or the power of the future? Here's the reality. How many of you drive? Drivers? How many of you should be? Chuck, how many of these people should be driving? <laughs> Not me, Stephen Noel. Am I a good driver? <laughs> he laughs. Stephen and I went into Spokane and visited a guy in the hospital the other day, and I was thinking to myself, what does he think of my driving? <laughs> and you just answered that for me. Thanks. <laughs> None of you would drive a car looking only in the rearview mirror or your side mirrors. Don't, this is one of those don't do this when you leave church things. Don't even try it. <laughs> like the destruction that awaits you is so severe for you and the people around you, right? And life is that way. We are a vehicle that's moving somewhere. But if we are fixated so much with the past that we can't look forward to the future, it causes destruction for us and the people around us, and it decays our soul. And this overarching meta-narrative, that of the narrative of scriptures, which points to this hero who is Jesus, says that all of this will pass away. You can be healed and set free from it so you can look forward to the future. Amen. 
So just pastorally, one, I'm reminding you this morning, uh, I love this scripture in Philippians chapter three, Paul, the apostle Paul, who's one of the most prolific writers and theologians of all time. If anybody had good reason to regret his past and dwell in it and be left back in it and not move forward into all that God has for him, it was Paul. And Paul says in Philippians chapter three that I forget the former things. Now that might be a life, a a journey of constantly forgetting the former things. I'm not saying like, I don't wanna be ignorant and naive to the fact that that is a battle, but there has to be this innate thing inside of us that's what's behind me, God has taken care of. Some of Paul's language is literally like, it gets really intense. Not, that's kind of soft and gentle and very kind. Some of his language is crucify it. <laughs> Kill it. Leave it behind you. Because God has new life, resurrection, a future, and a hope for you. So, are you in a camp this morning where this has more power on your now than the future? And humbly, if so, crucify it, leave it behind you. Take your eyes out of the rearview mirror, so to speak, and look forward to the future. Because as I already read in Revelation 21, the promise of the future that God has for us is so wonderful and significant and so real. It's not a myth or a fable or a legend. It's real, folks. It's real. And we'll have full access to it. It's what lies ahead for us. And because of that, we can move forward into that reality. Okay. Now for the future. I'm a Mexico guy. Mexico, you know what I mean? Now, this is what we have to understand about the future. When Mexico gets on the calendar, Connor's life changes. (laughs) Now I'm Irish by descent, so that means that my skin is not good for Mexico, or Mexico is not good for my skin. Yeah. Neither is Coeur d'Alene sometimes, but whatever. And the reason why that's important is because when I know that Mexico is on the calendar or there's something ahead of me that I'm looking forward to, but let's look at Mexico for a minute, I begin to prepare for Mexico because when I get there, I want to fully enjoy and experience and have been prepared for it. So I don't tan, you know, because I'm more spiritual than that. But, (laughs) just kidding to my tanners in the house. I'm just kidding. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, it would be wise of me at some capacity before I get here, right now, to begin to prepare my skin for it. This is the other thing. When I get to Mexico, I want to be able to enjoy all that Mexico has to offer me. So my budget, my finances change right now so that I'm prepared for the future. And this is the other thing. Uh, I want to make sure my palate is ready for Mexico. (laughs) 
Now, we don't have a ton of great Mexican restaurants here. Oh, we have a couple. There's Tacos Los Panchos over by Union Coffee. Best tacos in town. Don't argue with me. I'm the pastor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not my perspective on the world. But they're great. So I'll go. I eat a lot of tacos already, just confession time. But I'll eat more to prepare <laughs> for Mexico. I have this goal of learning Spanish one day, Emily, but... It generally just happens when Mexico gets on the calendar, so my Spanish is super limited. But my point is, is my now changes when I look ahead to the future. But this is what I'm going to challenge you with this morning, is what I've noticed from my experience as a pastor, as I sit down with Jesus followers and I am leading people and you and, and even just reflecting on my own life, when I look at my now, often I feel like it's very much so shaped by my past. Which makes me wonder, is the power of my past still got a hold of me? Not nearly as much as the power of the future. Or I have a misunderstanding of what actually lays ahead of me. So when I do think about the future, I'm full of fear. Which is maybe a step in the right direction. But if you think about the future and you're full of fear, then you have misunderstood the story of God. Now, does that mean that sunshine and roses and daisies lie ahead of you? No. Jesus says in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Like, thanks, Jesus. That's really nice of you. Appreciate it. (laughs) But that's important to recognize and understand because I think sometimes we believe in the cross and we're sitting in the right now and our perception of the future is that it will be perfect and easy without resistance. That now all of a sudden, because we're Jesus followers, we're not subject to the pain and the brokenness of this world. But that's a misunderstanding of the story. The story is, it's all on the table until the end of time. But when the end of time comes, everything will change. So because of the actual end of the story, the future that we read in Revelation 21, we can trust that because of that future, it can change my now, even greater than just natural material changes right now, but something deeper that's more spiritual because of how promising and how good and how powerful the future is that will inherit this new earth and this new world. I can actually in the now go through all the crap that life wants to throw at me with great strength and hope and confidence that there's something better on the other side that's been promised and secured for me. But really, really, really reflect right now. Is your now shaped by heaven? Like in heaven, there will be no insecurities, okay? So you know what I remind myself of now? Connor, you don't have to be insecure. In heaven, I'm not going to have to worry about, like, death. Now, that's a real worry right now for, you know, practical reasons. But in my spirit, I can say this honestly before you. I'm not worried about it. Today, something horribly tragic could happen to me, and I won't get to eat the pollo asado that I've been marinating for 24 hours tonight. (laughs) It's legit. <laughs> but something, it's, it's 12.30. I say this in all seriousness. Something horrible could happen to me between now and then. 
and I'm at peace. I'm good with it. Seriously. Because I know that one day, all of this, good, bad, and ugly, will pass away. And the future will take hold. The thing that I long for and yearn for the most, and it will not have a calendar anymore, there will be no more time, nothing like that. It will just be us and God in his perfect presence. We won't have anything to worry about or fear. And because that is ultimately the future that I put on the calendar, so to speak, that I look to for the most power and influence in my life, my now is drastically shaped. Which has more power over you, the past or the future? And if it is the future, what do you actually believe the future holds? Because, again, if we submit ourselves to the scripture, the future should move us, as it is told in the story of God, should move us and shake us to be the most hopeful people in the world. Because the end of the story, I was with a guy who's not really a believer. He's, he's in a journey, a good friend of mine. But he's got a lot of other different philosophies and things. He's still got to figure some stuff out. Like, it's my place to say. I don't know. But we're having this conversation, and he's talking about all this crazy stuff that I don't really know anything about. But I'm like, yeah, totally, sure. And I'm telling him about the story of God. This story, the beginning and everything in between, and telling him about the cross and Jesus. And he's like, wow, that sounds really good. I said to him, it'll all come to an end one day. He said, whoa, 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 isn't that just the beginning? I said, yeah, you're right. That is just the beginning. Because it is. I was corrected by someone who, yeah. It's just the beginning. It is the end. All the old will pass away. But it's just the beginning. Okay, final stretch. Save some time. You know what? If it was anyone but you, Andy, I probably would. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Our main scripture to close it out. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews, it's page 972. One of my favorite jokes. That's what's actually 1004 in mind, point proven. It's different in all of them, you know what I mean? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. This is what it says. Worship team, if you want to come forward. A little bit of context. The Hebrews, this is a crazy book. We, there's very... There's a lot we don't know about it. We don't, we're not totally sure who the author is. Different scholars have different opinions. And we're not totally sure who the audience is. But what we do know is that these were Jesus followers who were facing extreme religious persecution. And they had to make a decision based on their current point in the story. What greater story were they going to believe in that would shape how they would move forward? Would they believe that the story of God is actually real and would they continue to confess their faith in Jesus no matter what this current moment brought them? Or would they say, you know what, I don't think that story is real. I'm gonna try and figure out something else that's a little bit safer. This is what it says in in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. It's funny. (laughs) 
Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, underline this, having patiently waited, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge must have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Here we go to the illustration. This is a metaphor for life. We all have a soul. It is this vessel. It is who we are at the core of our being. It is the thing that embodies our existence. And we're, so to speak, we're on the water. We're in life. We're in the game. Now, at any point in time, this water could be calm or it could be deadly, wild, and stormy and destructive. And that's for everybody. All of you at some point in time have experienced that type of storm. And the, the question is, is when the storms come in life, what is the thing that anchors us and keeps us secure through the midst, through it, in the midst of it? And my question for you, final question for you this morning, is what is the anchor of your soul? What is the thing that keeps you secure? What is the thing when no matter what life throws at you, the thing that keeps you hopeful that I can make it out on the other side of this? And even if I don't, even if it takes my mortal body, I'm at peace because I know that on the other side, there's something greater. Now, if that is your conviction, then Jesus is probably the anchor of your soul as the author of Hebrews is instructing the people of Hebrews and he's instructing us today. But I have to ask you because Honestly, if you're anything like me, at different points in your life, Jesus was not the anchor of your soul, which is the problem because the storms come and we find ourselves lost at sea, all over the place, confused, wondering if we'll ever be able to come home again. Have you ever been there? I think that's why the question was proposed. A couple things that we anchor our soul to. Relationships. Have you anchored your soul to a relationship? Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a mother or a father. A career. Have you anchored your soul? I mean, really, like, this is the thing that keeps you grounded. Maybe it's a home or a place. Maybe it's all of these things. Maybe it's your resources. What, is it the th what are the things that you've anchored yourself to? Let me say this. If it's anything other than Jesus, when the storm comes, we will probably find ourselves lost at sea. And here's why. All of these things... can be taken away. The stat on death 
is 100%. All of us are going to die. Pretty good odds, wouldn't you say? And I know that sounds morbid and maybe I'm insensitive, but that's significant because if you've put your trust in the, the reality of your marriage, what happens when your wife is no longer there or your husband is no longer there? Whether they die or they leave you, whatever it might be, what happens when the thing that you anchored your soul in can be taken from you? And the good news of this story is that we've been given an anchor if we would so choose to let it out. And that is the hope of Jesus. It's the hope of resurrection that's on the other side of this life that says no matter what storm comes, we have something that can keep us anchored and secure. But is that the anchor of your soul? Connor, how do I know if Jesus is the anchor of my soul? Very simple. Ask yourself this question. All the other things that you hold dearly, when they leave you, or when they pass away, or when they no longer exist, will you still trust God? Will you still believe in the story? And will you still worship him? And if you can go through the things, a list of the things, that all the things that you hold dear, and say, if this was taken from me, I couldn't worship God, then just to be totally honest, he's not the anchor of your soul. Now you've got to work that out, and that's hard to work out. I don't want all the good things that God has given me to pass away, but they will. And the good news is, is when that happens, it's not the end of the story. That one day, all of it will eventually come to an end. And I don't know what it's going to look like because the scriptures are crazy apocalyptic. And Hollywood has given us a weird understanding of the end times. <laughs> but it will be beautiful. And it will be for eternity. There will be no going back. It can't be robbed. It can't be taken. It can't be changed. And what I do know is the things that we are running from the most, pain and death, they won't exist there. It'll just be us and God and his creation. And that is the thing that anchors our soul. If you stand with me. I invite the prayer team forward. If you need prayer uh, for anything, there will be some people up here that you can pray with, and I'll close with this. I'm going to read you one scripture, and then I'm going to read you a quote from a great theologian, C.S. Lewis, and then we'll close in prayer. This is Romans chapter 5. Again, the Apostle Paul. He says, this is verse 1 through 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anchor of our soul. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And listen to this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I've realized this in life, just for me personally. Maybe this is not true for you, but I've come to peace with being crazy. Because I realize that either the craziness of this world will drive me crazy, or the hope of Jesus will anchor my soul and the world around me will think I'm crazy. Because what Paul is saying is that because of what Jesus has done, when we anchor our souls to the hope of eternity, that no matter how big the storm gets, no matter how crazy the storm gets, on this side, that the peace of God will fill us. And the hope of the future will keep us immovable, steadfast, and secure. Now, we might have minor-like freakouts at different times. But at the end of the day, it keeps us rooted and grounded and secure. Now, what's going to make you crazy? Is it going to be the craziness of this world? Or are you willing to be crazy because of hope? When everyone, when your world seems like it's falling apart around you and the people around you, even maybe sometimes Jesus followers, because this happens and we've seen this throughout the narrative of scripture. Look at, you think about Job and his, his wife. She's like, curse God. And Job was crazy because of hope. Because even though his world was literally, like read the story of Job, it doesn't get any worse than that. But he had this thing inside of him. He believed the promise that God had made to him. And he had this thing, as long as there's breath in my lungs, no matter what comes against me, I'm going to stand firm, believing that one day all of this will pass away and God will restore what's been taken from me. That's crazy. Like, I, I literally think to myself sometimes, I'm like, do I, am I willing to be crazy over that? And I am. Because what's the other option? <laughs> Are you willing to be crazy for hope? One last quote, then we'll close in prayer. These people will be up here to pray. This is C.S. Lewis. This is what he says. This is so good. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of, the, one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you will find the Christians who did most for the present world 
were just those who thought most of the next. May we be those people who no longer look to the past and who are really convinced of the future that actually lies ahead of us and who live right now with that future in mind and who allow our current reality to be shaped by that future where we're not afraid, we're not insecure, we're not anxious. And that might be a wrestling. If you are those things, I'm not saying that you're, I'm not condemning you for experiencing those emotions, but we have to submit our emotions and our experiences to the story of Jesus, which gives us great hope for a future. Pray with me, God, we thank you. For this story and we put our trust in it we say together despite sometimes our doubts or our fears our worries or our intellectual wrestling we submit our faith to you in the story that you have written in the resurrection of life through your son jesus christ and we pray and we ask right now for each and every one of us that your holy spirit would come and fill us once again and give us power that we would abound in hope that we would be filled with faith And for each and every one of us, we present our life to you in such a way where it's been shaped by the past or we've had fear of a future that's not inconsistent with the one that you're telling. We submit all of that to you and we lay it down. And we ask, I ask right now in our minds and in our hearts, God, that you would give each and every one of us a fresh understanding of the future that lies ahead of us, something that's not just intellectual based on what we heard or read, although that will help us understand it, God. But we pray, I ask that you would do something beyond what I can articulate with my words and what we can really grasp with our minds, that it would transcend all of that it would get deep inside of us and it would be the thing that anchors us. We pray a blessing over your people now. Bring strength and courage, peace and hope. We pray all these things in the authority of Jesus. And all those who agreed said amen. Amen. Amen.